She had a really beautiful singing voice. She's, she's like so a, cool. She's like beyond a triple threat. She's like a seven tuplet threat. It's seven tuplet. Seven tuplet baby yeah. threat. That's, that's definitely the word for it. Yeah. <laughs> a dodecahedron threat. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Fierce Females of History podcast, where we tell stories of women in history that you should know about. I'm Erin. I'm Talissa. And I'm Lucy. And I have today a quick warning. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are warned that this podcast may contain voices of deceased persons. And another heads up, our social media pages may also feature images of deceased persons as well in relation to this particular episode. Sure will. So this week, I have chosen to do the story of Fanny Cochrane Smith. Now, she was born in 1834 in an Aboriginal mission on a place called Flinders Island. So she's an Indigenous woman. Just quick geography question. Where's Flinders Island? So it's off the coast of Tasmania. Okay. Ah, yes. Thank you. So basically, her family were local and were born on Tasmania she, her family were taken to this particular island. And I'll explain why in a second. And she was actually born there. To explain that a bit further, colonial authorities removed Aboriginal people from their lands on mainland Tasmania to Flinders Island. They called it a friendly mission. Um, they reported <laughs> that there was a treaty between the local Indigenous or Aboriginal clans and the government. However, given the situation at that time, probably very unlikely yeah. Yeah. that that was a friendly mission that old chestnut yeah so people were moved there i'm gonna i'm gonna guess forcibly and people i'm sure reflecting on the time will also say the same thing between 1831 and 1835 so she was born there during that time so her great 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 three greats granddaughter spoke to sbs and said she was born in captivity yeah so that's how her family view the situation there yeah Um, during that time, it said that Aboriginal people on the land would escape into bushland and practice their culture. And that's where Fanny growing up learned a lot of songs. She learned a lot of dances and cultural practices, which again, we'll touch on a little bit later. So while on the island, some people worked as domestic servants for families. Some people, um, were were living there in, in family groups, but Fanny was actually fostered to a family called the Clark family. Um, and then she was sent to live on the new town in Tassie. So not Sydney's new town that maybe we're used to, but new town in Tasmania <laughs> yeah. to live at the Queen's orphanage where she spent most of her childhood. She then returned to work. Okay. Work. Inverted commas. Yep. Yep. Um, with the family she was actually fostered by and that was until the island actually closed in 1847. So she was responsible for domestic services for that family. Um, and was there right up until people would move back to the mainland. That sounds like a really great fostering relationship. Mm. Doesn't it just? Very I'm going to foster you in exchange. Yeah. And if I just did the maths quickly in my head, she would have been about 13. Wow. Yeah. Mm, so I don't baby. know how many years she was working for the family as mm. opposed, again, quotation marks, mm-hmm. as compared to in the orphanages. Mm. Um, but, that's what happened. And, and we know the, the climate for Indigenous people then was just horrendous. Her family have described the horrors that she experienced and it just was a really, really terrible time for most Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people due to colonisers making really horrible decisions for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 
she the island closed and when it closed all the remaining survivors from the island were taken back to mainland tasmania so i should actually say a lot of indigenous people died on the island mm. um including her father um when she is came this flinders island or tasmania flinders island okay. so oh yeah i should clarify for that's all right Tasmania's there's a an few island islands too. involved <laughs> <laughs> yeah so everyone was taken from tassie to flinders island and back to tasmania okay um, but a lot of people died on Flinders Island. Right. Um, and then she came back. She married an Englishman called William Smith when she was 20 years old. And she would go on to have 11 children wow. with him. Which is a lot of kids. <laughs> that is like get another island sorted yeah. for family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pretty crazy time. I'm exhausted just just hearing about it. Yeah, wait till you hear what else she does. So... They moved away from that town but kept really close bonds with the community and the friends that she made on Flinders Island. Mm-hmm. So okay. she's now living in mainland Tasmania, away from everyone she kind of knew in a more white area, mm-hmm. um, but kept her connections to her community really strong. Um, songs, dances and other cultural practices, which again she learned in bushlands kind of hiding, mm-hmm. I suppose, learning these things. She kept them going in her community and she would speak to both white people and indigenous people about them. So teaching them and trying to get people involved in her brilliant cultural way of life. Um, so she learned things like bush foods and medicines and shell necklaces and basket making. So Ooh. arts and crafts and keeping people alive. Yeah, Just the casual things. Special yes. And she would spend her time fishing, hunting and collecting bush tucker um, and doing Aboriginal ceremonies with people as well. So Fanny and her husband ended up making a boarding house in, in Hobart where they'd cut and sell timber. And to give you a bit of an idea of what cutting and selling timber looked like then, it was her splitting shingles all day, working inside the dense Tasmanian bushland and walking up to 50 k's a day to get her Whoa. supplies. Yeah. Walking, carrying everything. Everything. All by hand. Um, I shouldn't say 50 k's a day, but 50 k's each journey to do what she oh needed to do. And she was personally God. carrying this wood. Wowzers. Yeah. But she- that... Sounds crazy to us now, but she actually became a really prominent businesswoman because of it. Oh, good for so her. So not just in her indigenous communities yeah. was she well-known, but in the white community, she was super well-known as well. And so people looked to her to be this brilliant businesswoman wow. who could also talk about cultural issues. And I think that's what makes her really interesting Yeah, because she was like this bridge between the two worlds. Mm. So she could bring indigenous culture into white communities and speak and advocate for her people and the struggles that they were going through and had been through. So... She continued to do that all the way through her life. I think is Tasmania, in terms of massacres, it's got the highest number. Yeah. Tasmanian right? yeah. Indigenous populations were almost wiped out and the ones that weren't, as far as I'm aware, were taken to places yeah. like Flinders Island. It's one of the things that I know when I went down there a few years ago, I couldn't I couldn't figure out why it seemed so English until until I saw that none of the place names, you know, like up in New South Wales, you've got Katoomba, Kirribilli, mm. uh, Kirui, just the places. K's. Yeah. Um, Cronulla, Gaimia, Wollongong. I think all the Kemblers yeah. are that as well. Like but down in Tassie, there's nothing like that. So between her business ventures, her celebrating, teaching, practicing Indigenous cultures and traditions, raising 11 kids – she was basically superwoman. She is a very, Amazing. very busy woman. Yeah, yeah. busy working mum. At the mom. very least, as a as a working mum, yeah. as a busy mum, as a busy mum, the OG, working mom. busy working mum. I believe meal prep is incredibly important. I love that. I'm so glad I found a sanitary napkin that can fit my busy lifestyle. <laughs> I did steal that from somewhere I don't know where, but 
this so far is incredible, but it goes on. So Fanny and her husband, William, were early converts of the Methodist church. So they were really into the church and she was actually given some parcels of land. So following her mother's death, um, Fanny's mother's death in 1876, she claimed the title of the last Tasmanian. So basically, and I'm going to use some words here that we probably don't use in 2020, but at the time, she was described as the last full-blooded Tasmanian Aboriginal. Right. We obviously don't talk about that now, but at the time, that's how she was referred to. Um, In a lot of history books, they say her mother was, but actually it was her. So the Tasmanian government actually recognised that at that time, and they were able to give her two large parcels of land that were several hectares in size. Obviously, as being a traditional owner of the land it's a start mm-hmm. um yeah but for the time i don't know if it was very common yeah um so she was given these land and was uh, was also granted a small allowance for the rest of her life i suppose by that point they were starting to realize some of the horrific things they had done and i guess that's their way of um I don't even know. what. Can I ask what time period we're in now? We're in 1876. Yes. So still very, very, very early. Very, very early days. We're still, what, 100 years of more, yep. but 100 years of yeah. legislation yep. that will impact Indigenous people. I'm saying that as they're still, as far as I know, even not even recognised as the traditional owners in the Constitution. So exactly. still a long way to go when it yep. comes to legal and government issues with Indigenous yep. people. So... Like I said, she got that land and her husband and her were hugely connected to the church. So she donated some of that land to the Methodist church. Okay. And while the church was being built, actually held services in her own kitchen. Um, That's kind of cute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> one of her sons down the track actually becomes a preacher as well. Okay. So really involved in religion. Um, Fanny was also known for her cooking skills. So this might explain why it was in her kitchen. She said to have people coming from basically far and wide to try her cooking. Now, if we reflect back on the fact that she knew bush tucker and how to find it Mm. and what to do with it, I wonder was that her mixing that with European styles of eating or or what was she providing to people? I don't know, but people would come from all over and just eat her food. Cool. I wonder if it was finger lime. Have you guys had finger lime? It is a game changer in a dish. It is amazing. I haven't tried it. My friend Theo is trying to grow it at the moment. So mm. I think I will oh, try good it. Luck. Yeah. It's very bougie. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah. I, I don't know what she was cooking, but it will stop. Like I need that. answers to Lisa. I want to know. She was cooking with love. If I could go, that's true. <laughs> and Christianity. <laughs> Jesus and love. That's all you need. It's the key ingredients. <laughs> uh, so, she or was... any other God you believe, I'm sorry. <laughs> Or none. That's fine, too. We yeah. don't judge. Um, so she learned her cooking skills and she used her skills to host fundraisers and she hosted the annual Methodist picnic because who doesn't love a picnic? Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, and during that time, people would obviously, as I said, travel to try her cooking, but they would also travel to watch her perform Indigenous songs and dances because she had a really beautiful singing voice. She's, she's like so a, cool. She's like beyond a triple threat. She's like I a seven-tuplet threat. It's seven-tuplet. <laughs> seven-tuplet. baby yeah. threat. That's, that's definitely the word for it. Yeah. <laughs> a dodecahedron threat. <laughs> she's pretty amazing. Multifaceted. Yeah, so – her singing voice was well known and the thing that she did that was really cool was she'd actually sing traditional songs. So there was a concert held in her honour in 1899 where she sang songs of her people to huge groups of people. Um, and that was actually the year that the colonisers sat up and 
paid a bit more attention mm. to what she was singing. Okay. So in 1899, as I said, and again in 1903, some of her songs were actually recorded by a man named Horace Watson. Um, they were recorded by the Royal Society of Tasmania. So this was her singing voice, singing her people's songs. And it's the first and only known recordings of the Tasmanian language wow. that was that cultural group had. Only. Only. It oh, was also God. the first and only recordings of these particular songs. Okay. Wow. So not only is she the last native speaker of this language, she's the first and only person to be recorded. Why haven't people done covers of these songs? Well, I can give you a bit of an idea why. So they were recorded on wax cylinders and they were sealed for a number of years. Okay. They are very delicate, Mm. very delicate. And we have heard some of the recordings because they have been published. Um, The ABC actually has a a recording of her on their website. And I'd kind of like to play it for you. I'd love to hear it. Okay, so this is a recording, and as I said, this audio did come straight from the ABC. So this is part of the 1903 recording, so the second set of recordings that she did. Um, And it's the recording of Fanny Cochran Smith singing a traditional Aboriginal song in her native language. So, wow. yeah. Yeah. What's she singing about? I don't know. And I guess there's no translation of that language. But it's, I just can't get over how old that recording is. Yeah. So 1903, I just, you it's said. It's 117. I just did the math while we're listening. Holy guacamole. 117 years old. And they haven't been played since the 80s. And this article was done two years ago or three years ago. They haven't been played since the 80s because they are so fragile mm. that they have been kept away so you from can only... anything. So they're wow. a wax cylinder um, and a stylus is used to record with a needle. It scratches into the wax itself. Wow. Tell you what, it's a bit harder than flicking out the old iPhone. Yeah. I've never even heard of that before. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. Unfortunately, these were recorded in 1903 and the language died with her two years later. Oh, wow. So she passed away in 1905. When was she born again? Um, she was born in 1834. And there okay. was no transcriptions of the language or anything? I don't think so. I, wow. I know that she passed a lot down to her family. And as I said, like there's a couple of interviews with her great, great, great granddaughter um, and her, I can't remember if it was her mum or her dad, but they're very, were very influenced by their great, great grandmother and the, the grandmother before that and the grandmother before that. So she had a really strong family, family legacy and having 11 kids, that's a huge community mm. of people she made herself yeah <laughs> yeah that's a big group of people but they have a lot of them have vowed to try and uphold the things that she taught them um and pass that down yeah so i'm not sure if there's a translation um it would be quite tricky seeing as there's what two sets of recordings of this language wow um and we know from history that indigenous languages haven't been preserved. I can't remember the exact number, but there were hundreds of yeah, there were hundreds indigenous languages across Australia, Aboriginal, Thousands, Torres Strait Islander sure. languages. Yeah, yeah. So this is the only known recording of wow. that group of people. 
And so she was a she was born in captivity. That's her own family's wording. She moved, bridged the tried to bridge gaps between white and indigenous cultures. Was an advocate for them every step of the way. She worked for a church. She held picnics for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. She did everything <laughs> in her power to build a community and carry on her family's traditions and I think she's a pretty extraordinary person wow well like preserving culture and and fighting back in that in that way is really really powerful and obviously she was still you know doing the things that she needed to do to to get by in a white society Mm. but at the same time she's like all right guys I'm gonna do what you want me to do I'm gonna Mm -hmm. join the church I'm gonna be the wife I'm gonna marry I'm gonna live with a white man in a white community Mm -hmm. but at the same time I'm going to preserve my culture yeah great story Talissa yeah. thank Amazing. you wow what a woman what a woman you too Talissa oh thanks Joe. go girl <laughs> I'm loving the nails PS oh really um I think next time you need to do first females of history podcast colors <laughs> and you get featured. oh I should have and you can get featured on the gram oh you don't want my stumpy fingers on the gram but <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Fierce Females of History podcast. If you want to get in touch, there are two ways to do that. One of them is on our email, which is fiercefemalesofhistory at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Instagram at fiercefemalespodcast or on Facebook. Or you can spend a few years painting a really beautiful painting while at the same time actually making a tiny code in the placements of little symbols on the painting. You can put it in the gallery 300 years later We'll get a historian to figure it out and send us the message. <laughs> this feels like the, the theme of that movie, that Da Vinci Code almost. <laughs> if you've got some time up your sleeve, that's your best option. <laughs> <laughs>